Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at 1211 First Avenue North on the third floor. Of, of a lot of people. Um, it's really easy to take and say, oh, well, that guy up there with the microphone, that's, that's the important guy. That's the guy that did the things. And, and that's just simply uh, not true. Um, what I have done is a drop in the bucket to so many of you and to so many people that are back in these rooms with your kids, uh, with my kids that have, have done so much. And so I just wanted to, to stop as we get started and, uh, and thank um, all of you who have played a part in City Church thus far, those of you who have prayed for it, those of you guys who have given to it, those of you who have uh, worked on all the physical things that we've done around here, who have put together more IKEA furniture, Uh, than the average person does in a while. (laughs) So many things um, that you guys have done and contributed to us, and so we are are thankful for that. Have you ever uh, had this terrible feeling when you meet someone uh, or when you see someone in public and you look at that person and you go, "I, I, I know them. I don't know how. I can't place who that is, but that person, I know that person. And this is where sort of things go where if you're an introvert, you probably just sort of shrug it off and go, well, I'm not going to talk to them anyway. So I can carry on with my life and this is not going to happen, right? You just sort of go, that's strange. If, if you are someone who on the scale of introversion and extroversion is m- more in my direction, it's a problem. Because you naturally want to talk to that person. I know this person. I want to talk to them. I don't know how I know them. And it's going to be weird if I just go up and go, how do I know you? Because I could be wrong. I have once or twice in my life been wrong about this. When I've walked up to somebody and said, hey, good to see you again. I don't remember how I know you. And they have told me, you don't. You don't know me. You know, and then you sort of have the awkward answer of, are you sure? (laughs) To which they quickly respond, yes, I'm sure you don't know me. And then I've made it weird. The, the passage that we're going to look at today um, has that the, sort of all the markers of that sort of situation. It has all of the sort of trappings of mistaken identity, of people who don't quite know who the other person is, people who are kind of saying, you don't know me, and what's going on. And one of the things that we see in this passage uh, is that, honestly, uh, it's a funny passage. It's meant to be played for laughs. We don't often give the Bible enough credit uh, for the fact that while the Bible is uh, the Word of God, that doesn't mean that it is always sort of stayed and reserved. There are times where the Bible is is funny, where the Bible is is meant to make us laugh, where it's meant to do this. The past few stories that we've looked at, we've been going through a book of the Bible called Judges. And as we've gone through this book of the Bible, one of the things we've seen is that these stories are funny. Two weeks ago, we read a story that would make every 13-year-old boy so excited because it's a story of a king who is so fat that when he got assassinated, the sword disappeared into his gut. Right? I mean, this is, this is a funny story. Last week, we read the story of a guy who, who went into a tent and said, Hey, hey, there's nobody here, right? Don't tell anybody there's anybody here. And the girl said, Oh, yeah, fine, I won't tell anybody there's anybody here. And then when he falls asleep, she nails his head to the ground in the middle of the tent. This is, this is 
this is strong. This is, this is funny. And, and last week, after she, after she drives a tent peg through his temple, the Bible simply says this. And so he died. Well, yes. Yes, he did. I'm sure that would be the most natural thing. The, the Bible is full of these sort of things. And one of the reasons that the Bible is full of these stories that are funny that sort of have this drama that draws our attention in is that we're supposed to remember them. The book that we're reading from Judges was a book of stories that were meant to be told around campfires and dinner tables. These are stories that were meant to be repeated because they're great stories, but not just because they're great stories. Because they point us to something even more. They point us to something greater than just what was happening in the story itself. So let me catch us all up on where we're at. The people of Israel have come out of the land of Egypt. You sort of may have seen this in a Charlton Heston movie at one point, right? The people of Israel were slaves and God miraculously brought them out of Egypt. And then after some years and some shenanigans, a man named Joshua helped them come in to the land of Israel. And God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take over this land. I want you to take all of the inhabitants and I want you to kick them out. And the reason God does this is not because God is pro-ethnic cleansing, but because the religion that the people in Canaan practiced at the time was a brutal and savage religion. It was a religion uh, that required rape and child sacrifice as acts of worship. And so God doesn't say, I want you to go out there and ethnically cleanse this place. He says, I want you to go out there and save these people from what's going on. And so the people of Israel go in Except what happens is, instead of kicking all of the people out, they end up letting them stay. They kind of look at them and said, well, you're cool. You'll be cool. Let's just all be cool. Everything will be fine. Everything's going to be okay. You guys can stay here, but don't cause any trouble. Well, they start causing trouble. And what's interesting is the people of Israel, again and again and again, stop worshiping the God who brought them out of Egypt and start worshiping the gods of the people around them. The very thing that God said, I I want you you to go into this land, and I don't want you to worship those gods. The people go, yeah, that's okay, thanks. We're going to do it anyway. And this begins to happen over and over again. And then God will rescue them, just like he rescued them out of Egypt. And things will go well for a couple years, and then not so much. And it keeps happening over and over. And so this is about the fourth or fifth time in the past hundred years of the people of God's history that they've gone through this, that they have gone through this cycle. And so this time, things are going to be a little bit different. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read the first 24 verses of Judges chapter 6. And one of the things we do here at City Church is we stand up when we read. If you have your Bible or a Bible app, you can look along with us. If not, we'll have it here on the screen. So if you would, let's stand and I'm going to read Judges... Chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in the mountains, and caves and strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. 
For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on the count of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belongs to Joash the Abizite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, the Lord, uh, Did not the Lord bring us out of the land of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us, given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, how can I, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If I have now found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks with me. Please do not depart from here until I come and bring you out my present and set it before you. And he said, I'll stay till you return. So Gideon went back into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. And the meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and he brought them out under the terebinth and presented to him. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over him. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there and called it the Lord is peace. To this day it still stands in Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizrites. City Church, this is the Word of God, written nearly 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So in some ways, this story mirrors the stories that we've read up to this point. In some ways, we see the same things happening again. The people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And and what he means by that is they began worshiping other gods. They began worshiping the gods of the people around them. And so God allowed them to be taken over by one of the tribes around them. In this case, a group called the Midianites. Uh, The Midianites were sort of related to Moses and his father-in-law. And these people would come in. Every year, as soon as the crops began to sprout, and they and their their camels would come in and they would eat everything. 
right? It's kind of like having a college student home from school. <laughs> Where did all the food go? What has happened here, right? I remember when my parents would come home. When I'd come home from college, I would eat everything they had. Now, my parents are rather healthy, so it was a lot of rice cakes. So, <laughs> But, you know, you're in college, you're hungry, it happens. <laughs> they would come in, and they would eat everything. And not only would they eat all of the fruit, they would kill all of the produce. This was complete economic desolation. So the people of Israel who used to live on the plains, on these sort of lush green hills that stretch out over Israel, are no longer living there. They're living in rocks. They're hiding out in the mountains because every time they try to plant anything, in comes this cast of, ca- of camels and people that come and eat everything that they've got. And it says that it made the people of Israel feel very small. Whenever we experience oppression, whenever we experience injustice, there is a feeling that accompanies that. There is a feeling that accompanies that that being very small helps us to understand. Because we have a place, a feeling of being out of place. We have a feeling of things not being right, about this not being okay. And one of the things we see throughout the scriptures is that God is with those who feel this way. Whether it's because of societal things that are going on, or whether it's because of things that are going on in our hearts. You see, on the one hand, there is the oppression that comes from outside of us, that is systemic, that is societal, that is cultural. But that's not the only thing that can make us feel this way. There's something else that most of us are familiar with that gives us this same feeling. And that's guilt and shame. You see, no matter sort of what our religious beliefs are, no matter whether we would call ourselves a Christian or not, it's sort of part of the human experience that we have this feeling of guilt and shame. Guilt for the things that we've done, for the things that we haven't done. Shame for the things that have been done to us, for the things that we wish we could forget. And when we allow ourselves in the silence of a moment to remember those things, to think about those things, what we end up feeling is small. What we end up feeling is oppressed. And so this is what's happening to the people of Israel. And in a lot of ways, we find ourselves in the same spot that they are. We don't always feel great about life. More often than we want to admit, we feel small. And what this passage is going to show us is that far too often, you and I don't realize how bad we need rescued, and we don't realize how God is with us. So the people of Israel feel this way. They're being oppressed, and they cry out to God. They say, God, come and save us. And God does something different this time than he's ever done before. Before, when the people cried out and said, God, save us, he said, okay, 
Here's a guy that's going to help you. Okay, here's a girl who's going to rescue you. Okay, I'll take care of it. In this case, the people of Israel cry out. They say, God, we need your help. And he says, I've got something for you. I've got a sermon for you. You can almost hear the people of Israel kind of grimacing going, not what I was hoping for, God. Every day... I try to go down and plant crops. Every day, these camel riders come in and eat my crops, and you want to send a prophet to give me a sermon. (coughs) Hard pass. Thank you, no thank you. Why? I mean, how many times when we are stuck in life, when we are having a hard time, and we cry out to God, and God sends us someone who tells us something from the Bible, do we want to go, uh, no, no, no. I I don't want that. The reason is, is because you and I, and the people of Israel, they, they didn't want God. They didn't want God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They wanted a divine friend with benefits. That's what they wanted. They wanted someone they could call on a moment's notice that would come and make them feel better. That's what they want. God, the camel riders are eating all of our food. Fix it. And God says, here's what I want you to do. Believe in what I've done before. No, 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 no. Stop trying to bring a relationship into this mess. (laughs) We had an agreement. That's what this text line is for. Right? They wanted, to borrow from Drake, they wanted hotline bling from God. I'm sorry. I'll show myself out. That's dad. That's that's a terrible dad joke. I've got you. I understand. No, but but think about how often that's the way that we treat God. God, things are bad. God, come and fix it. God, I I can't deal with what's going on right now. Just fix it. I'm, I'm being oppressed by this guilt and shame. And the irony in this story and the irony in our life is most of the time our guilt comes from the things that we've done. And in the people's Israel's case, it was the things that they had done. But they said, just come and fix it. You know, some of us um, here at City Church have been Christians for a while. And we sort of hear that and go, well, I'm an experienced Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time. I don't do that. And you're fooling yourself. Because most of us who are Christians, what we do is we try to couch this in really nice religious language. We try to couch this in, well, well, I'm not doing that. But here's what we do. We say, God, look, I went to church this week. I gave some money. I told somebody about, God, I did the Jesus things. Now, you fix it. God, I did my religious acts. Now, you fix it. It's basically friends with benefits that you also send flowers to on occasion. But it's no different. How often do you and I demand things of God because of the things that we think should get us merit before God? 
and we approach God in the same way. But what we need is to actually experience rescue. The reason God sent a prophet, sent a sermon to these people was because he knew something. They weren't asking for forgiveness. They weren't saying, God, we we have worshipped these other gods. We have abandoned you. Forgive us. God, we want to restart our relationship with you. We We want to get back to the way things were. No, they said, no God, just fix it. What they were saying was, we need rescue from our physical circumstances, but internally, in our heart, in the stuff that we've going on and got going on inside, the stuff that bothers us in the silence, eh, don't, don't talk to me about that, God. I'd rather not talk about that. Our real need is to experience rescue, not just from our problems, but from our guilt and shame. And the prophet is like a surgeon who comes to them and says, this is your problem. This hurts. And so oftentimes what we see is those things that we don't want to talk about are what we actually serve. The thing that causes us the most pain is more often than not what's actually our God. So if we have outrageous reactions when something happens to our spouse, how often is that showing us that that what we really love more than God is is our spouse? When, When finances go wrong and we don't have the money we need, how often is it showing that what we really trust in is not what God can provide for us, but in our own strength and money? There are so many ways in which we do this and God comes to us and says, you just don't need me to fix things. You need something more. You need to be rescued from yourself. But do you know what the Bible never says happened to the people of Israel after that? Did you see anywhere in this passage where the people of Israel said, oh, yeah, you're right, God. Yes, you're right. No, it doesn't happen. We have no indication that the people of Israel ever actually turned their back on the other gods. But do you know what God does? He says, that's okay. I know that you're not going to turn to me right now, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rescue you anyway. And so the scene sort of zooms in, where we sort of had this big picture of all of these people, and they're all being oppressed by these people who are riding the camels. And then all of a sudden, it zooms in to this one little tree in this little town in the middle of nowhere. And in this little, beside this little tree in this little town in the middle of nowhere is a wine press. Think of a, a rock bowl. Right? Probably about six foot tall. And inside of this is a guy trying to thresh his wheat. Now I'm told, I've never seen wheat in real life, but I'm told that if you like rub it, the little nugget falls off. The little kernel falls off and the other stuff will fly away. And normally they would just roll big rocks over this wheat and then the other stuff would fly away and they could do this and you did it on a hilltop so that the wind would come and blow it. Well... Here's a guy who knows that if he does this out in the open, that the people are going to come and take his stuff. So what is he doing? He's hiding. 
And you get the image of this guy hunched over in this bowl with a stick hitting the wheat. Instead of a rock where you could do all kinds of wheat at one time, he's like got a broom handle. And he's smacking this wheat. And all of a sudden, somebody appears and says, Mighty man of valor. Hey, brave hero. You know, and the guy sort of looks up and goes, Who are you talking to? What, what do you mean, mighty man of valor? What are you talking about? And the guy says, yeah, you're a mighty man of valor. God is with you. And this is where Gideon sort of, sort of stops. And he goes, uh-uh, no, not playing that game. What does he say? This angel appears to him and says, mighty man of valor, God is with you. And he says, really? Hmm, let's look around. I'm in a wine press where I can't make wine because I can't grow grapes. And instead of using it as a wine press, I'm using it as the only place I can sift my wheat. The only place that I can hide to stop these people from eating what little wheat I can grow. So yeah, looks like God is with me. Okay, thanks, bye. You can feel the anger. You can feel the hostility. God is with us. Have you looked around? And the angel keeps talking. The angel of the Lord says, Yes, God is with you. What's interesting for you and I is, is the way that Gideon expressed his doubt. You see, all of us who are humans have trouble with doubt. As Christians, it's easy for us to ignore the doubts that we have about God. To ignore those times where we we can't make sense of what God is doing. Whether it's the dark night of our soul, whether it's when really bad things are happening in our lives, we we don't express well when we go, I don't know where you are on this one, God. And yet what's interesting is Gideon does express that. God says, I am with you. And Gideon says, it sure doesn't seem like you're with me. And does God strike him dead? Does God say, oh, that's terrible. Why would you ever say that? No, he doesn't. And for those of us who are Christians, we probably need to be a bit more honest about those times and places where we go, I am just struggling to see how God is real in this part of my life. But for those of us who aren't Christians, for those who are sort of checking this out and are wondering about this, what about your doubt? You see, where where Christians are, are doubt whether God exists, whether God is good, in what ways are your doubts haunted by belief? See, some of some people believe that everything is random. That everything that's going to happen just randomly happens. Where's the place for justice there? Where is the place for things to be right and wrong? Do those questions ever nag at you? Or what about people who say, you know what? The universe has its reasons. Things work out and things happen. The universe has its reasons, which is easy to say when you get a flat tire and you're mildly inconvenienced. But what about for like those big things that we can't explain? 
know, it's interesting. Um, the band Death Cab for Cutie has a song um, called St. Peter's Cathedral. And it's one of my favorite songs, not just because I live in St. Petersburg and we have a St. Peter's Cathedral here, um, because there's a line in that song that is incredibly helpful and it, it expresses um, both doubt and belief at the same time. The, the line says, um, St. Peter's Cathedral, full of granite, ever faithful always showing that it's either quite a master plan or chemicals that help us understand that this is life and there's nothing past this. That in this world, it's, it's either a master plan or chemicals just bumping into one another. Where are you, Adam, believing those things? Where am I? Gideon expresses his doubt and God says no I understand I understand that you don't feel like a mighty man of valor I understand that you don't see how God has worked but let me keep repeating something over and over because you're still not quite getting it mighty man of valor the Lord is with you I am with you yeah yeah but where is God no 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 you're going to rescue Israel I am going to go with you Yeah, but I'm not that great. Gideon, I am with you. You can almost see God sort of slowing down each time to remind him, no, 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 I am with you. Yeah, yeah, but what about, I'm with you. Yes, but there's this thing, I'm with you. And so Gideon finally starts to get it, but he's still a little confused. He says, okay, so if you're saying that God is with me, let me do something because you are important. Gideon starts questioning like, I'm going to bring you a offering. And he uses this word for offering that could either be something you give to a king or an offering that's given to God. And what Gideon is doing is he's trying to figure out who this person is who's in front of him. You know, and you, uh, I'm Ron Burgundy. Uh, you are important let me go and so he goes and he makes he makes a young goat he cooks a young goat and he cooks an ephah of flour which I know all of you guys are totally um, into ancient measurement weights you know so an ephah is about the same as a pood right (laughs) oh that that doesn't help some of you okay so it was about 35 40 pounds right so think about the amount of bread that you could make with 35 40 pounds of flour this is this is a big this is like an oprah sized loaf of bread some of you are taking a little bit of time to go oh i love bread <laughs> So he he kills this entire young goat. He makes this enormous loaf of bread and he takes it out to the angel. And he says, I've brought this. And the angel says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to lay the bread on the rock. Then you're going to put the meat on top of it. And then you're going to pour all of the broth out on top of the whole thing. So this has become sort of a, a soggy, stewy mess. And the angel reaches out and touches it touches it with his staff and immediately it's all burned up. It's all gone. And so is the angel. You would think that, that Gideon struggling with is God here? Is God with us? Is God here? And God's saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And then God finally shows him, I'm standing right here. I just accepted this. I just burnt this whole soggy bread meat mess up. 
You would think that Gideon would feel finally relaxed. Oh, God is with us. Got it. Learned my lesson. But how did Gideon respond? Gideon got panicked. Gideon about lost it. He said, uh, ooh, uh, I just saw God. This is not good. I just saw God, and I am somebody who is unclean. I am somebody who has guilt and shame. And all of a sudden, Gideon panics. And what does God say? No, 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 no. Gideon, Gideon, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I have made peace. See, because what's, what's lost on us is the fact that when Gideon offered this bread and meat with the broth poured on top, this was the same thing that Moses had commanded the people as a peace offering. When we wanted to make peace between one another, when we wanted to make peace between God and man, the Old Testament had a way of describing it, had a way of going about it. And that's what this was. And God said, I have accepted your peace offering. You do not have to be afraid. And so for those of us who are willing to admit that we have these things that nag us, that we oftentimes feel small because of our guilt and shame, God comes to us and says, I have made peace. I have made a peace offering. But not just one that lasts a little while. Not just one out of bread that gets burned up. I have made Jesus your peace offering. He came and took the punishment that you deserved. He came despite the fact that you are broken, that I am broken. That too often I base my life around how well I think things are going. And there's a nice crowd here, so I'm going to feel pretty good about myself this afternoon. And if there wasn't, I would go home and be upset and might even kick the dog. (laughs) Far too often, you and I fail to believe that we need rescue and fail to see that God is with us because we can't get our eyes off of this circumstance. And God says to us, I am your peace offering. My body was broken for you. My blood was poured out. Do you see the same language? That this bread that he put on this stone, this, this broth that was poured out, it was meant to point us to Jesus. And what's even more significant is that, guess what? It came before the people turned back to God. Jesus' peace offering on our behalf came before we were ready for it. Jesus reaches out to us first. And so, as we look at this text, as we read this and see it, one of the things we can see is that we as Christians are to be preemptive peacemakers. We're to be the kind of people that look for ways around us to show grace, to show mercy before it's even asked for. And that's hard because what I want to think about the most is what I need. What's good for me? How do I get through my day? And God says, my people, 
make peace before it's even needed. My people go out and love others before it's even necessary. And the reason we can do this is not because we have great morals. It's not because we're the best. It's because we're a people who have been shown preemptive grace. Because we're a people who God reached out to before we even knew that we needed it. And then there's another thing that this passage teaches us, which is just to just be honest about our doubts. If you're a Christian, it is okay to doubt. Talk to God about them. If you're not a Christian, it's okay to be haunted by belief. Talk to somebody about it. Ask questions. What does it mean that I can't get this idea that it might be a master plan that's working behind all this? What, what does that mean? Because Jesus has made peace between us and God before we knew we needed it in ways far greater than we can believe. Because of the cross, broken and messed up people like you and I, people who have wild guilt and shame, are more loved, accepted, and forgiven than we could possibly dream. That's the good news here at City Church. That's what we believe can not just change our hearts, but can change the way that we relate to one another. And when we begin to change the way that we relate to one another, our eyes look up from each other and to the city, to the ways that we work, to the ways that we play, to the ways that we engage the community here in downtown St. Petersburg. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. I know some of you guys are here, invited by friends, and we're so thankful for that. We'd love to have you back because we believe that God is taking us, a bunch of misfits, broken people, and saying, come on. I'm making peace.